Friends, today is our fall kickoff at Covenant, and this year is a little different than in past years, over the last decade. We've had a kind of tradition. It may have existed here before I arrived, but I only don't know about that. I just know since I've arrived, part of what we've done every year on this day, fall kickoff, is that we've launched a new sermon series, a new teaching series to kind of take us into the program year ahead hoping to generate some excitement, uh, some direction, some commonality about what God's doing as we go forward. This year's different because we have been following the lectionary texts over the summer, and uh, those texts have been guiding us. As you might know, this is assigned by the greater church. Um, and each Sunday, there are two Old Testament and two New Testament passages that are there. As a preacher, I've shared some of this with you before, it's always an adventure when you look up the lectionary text of what's been assigned. Sometimes it's really hard to pick um, what you're going to preach on because you read all four and you're like, these are great. I'd love to preach on all of them. And then there's other Sundays where you read all four and you're like, no, those are um, what's the least painful way we can navigate this Sunday. Uh, is, is, and so that's always a curiosity as the preacher when you open that up for the first time. But this Sunday was even more heightened because it's fall kickoff Sunday. But that doesn't exist in the church calendar. No one writing and assigning uh, lectionary text was going, all right, what's the right for Paul Sunday for covenant? It's going to fall in mid-August. That doesn't make sense with the weather, but just go with it. That's when it's going to be. Uh, you know, no one was thinking that way. So when I looked at the four options, it's like, okay, is there something here that can give us some direction that can launch us in terms of where we're going. But as I read the four options, my curiosity about that quickly shifted to surprise, maybe even shock. And as I read it to you now, for those of you who have been here for a while, you might hear it and remember why. The text is our gospel lesson assigned in the lectionary for today from Matthew chapter 14. I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. Immediately, he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are, how we walk in here, what faith, what doubts, what dreams, what hopes, what questions we have, that all of us would experience your presence and your gospel today, your good news, and it would change us forever. We lift this prayer up in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the reason that I was shocked when I read this passage of scripture is that nine years ago, my first fall kickoff at Covenant, we started a new series, a new teaching series, and it was on these exact 11 verses. It was on these verses, they weren't assigned by the lectionary, I had written a series called Thinking Outside of the Boat, we looked at this passage, we broke it down on several Sundays, we talked about what it meant uh, to be water walkers versus boat potatoes, as John Ortberg writes about. We read John Ortberg's book uh, on Wednesday nights, weekly, and the book title was, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Gotta Get Out of the Boat. It's a great title. If you want to walk on water, you gotta get out of the boat. We talked about what it meant to be the disciples locked in fear in the boat versus Peter who hears the call of God and is able to swing his legs over the side of the boat and to stand up. And I was stunned. If you think about the mathematical chances that of all the books of the Bible, of all the verses in the Bible, of all the chapters in the Bible, that the first fall kickoff Sunday that we've used the lectionary, it's bringing us back to nine years ago where we began. And I don't think that's coincidence. That smacks of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want us to do today is to use this passage, take a second, as we're kicking off the fall, to look back at where we were. I've had some times to look back, because I think it's important today, and that might be some of what God wants us to do, as well as to look forward. Because I wrote this series based on some data that I had accumulated about this church, which, as I say that out loud, sounds amazingly creepy, that I had accumulated data on you. <laughs> but I had accumulated data on you because when I started in the spring in April of 2014, uh, I had a lot of coffees and desserts, and I got to know you guys, and it put this series together. But I want you for a second to stop and think about where you were nine years ago. What your life was like nine years ago in the fall of 2014, whether you were here at Covenant or not. 2014, and since then, in those nine years, my guess is you've experienced some amazing joys, some milestones. Your life has probably changed in a number of ways. You probably experienced some tragedy and some hardship and some difficulty, some wilderness times. Think about as a world, as a nation, what's changed since 2014. We had a global pandemic. That was fun, right? And still surging again, right? Like it, it, it keeps going. Changed how we thought about work. Changed how we thought about our options for life. Changed school for a while for a lot of us. Changed church. Changed covenant forever. We're not the same we were before that. We've had in these nine years two different presidential elections. 2016 and 2020. Amazingly unifying and inspiring times for our nation. <laughs> bringing us together uh, in wonderful ways. And we get to do it again. Next year, I was reading an article the other day that, um, uh, that for one of, if maybe not the first time in history, both presumptive nominees of major parties, a majority of Americans don't want them to even run. It's not that they just don't support one or the other, they don't want them to run. So it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome to go through that. Wouldn't it be funny if we went through the last two elections and it was like, oh, it's gonna get worse, right? It's like, you're like, oh, is that possible? And think about where we were as a church nine years ago. Um, 
as I said, I had collected and learned a lot about you from April to when we started in the fall, on this fall kickoff. And what I learned helped write the series, determined that we were going to look at these 11 verses. And the way I learned about you beyond just kind of uh, what I knew as I began was that we had these, uh, I've gone back and looked at the data, I hadn't looked at it in years, uh, 20 coffees and desserts where you could sign up. It, raise your hand if you went to one of those. You're in here. Okay, so like seven of you uh, went to them. So that, it, it, that actually shows you how much has changed in the, in the last nine years, right? Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, we, we, we divided the congregation into smaller groups where they were in homes, they were uh, 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 coffees, desserts, where I went in, where you guys got a chance to know me, ask me questions, I got to learn your names. Uh, and, and at each of those, I handed out a piece of paper and it had four questions that were on it. And I asked the same four questions at all 20 gatherings. I got 434 responses to these four questions, tabulated it together, and I learned a lot about you. And that led directly into choosing this passage to preach on, to kick off the fall. Here were the four questions. Number one, what is unique about covenant? What's unique about covenant? You should think about this today. How would you answer this? Number two, what is a particular challenge facing covenant? Number three, what one word describes covenant? And last, fourth, what is your dream for covenant in five years? Meaning, what was it for four years ago? What's your dream for covenant in five years? And I want to look at this with you to remind us to just kind of where we were and what God's done. What did we answer for number one? This, we got a lot of answers, obviously, in 434, but we, I'm giving you the top responses, okay, uh, to each of these. What's unique about covenant? Number one, your top answer was connections and community. And, um, and second is our music program, which I think we could all agree is still an amazing strength of this church, and we are grateful for that. Next. Um, what is a particular challenge facing covenant? Now, the first two answers we parsed out because these two were like 90% of all responses. There's a, like, there's a third one on there, but it was like way distant, okay? Our worry nine years ago was a shrinking operational budget and uh, the giving was going down on a yearly basis. And second was debt on the fellowship and education building. Um, and it's cool to think about what's changed, right? That we did the opening doors capital campaign and that debt was erased and we're grateful to God for that. And, uh, and if someone had told me nine years ago that that wouldn't be the only capital campaign, we'd do a second one that we just finished. Uh, I would have said, well, I'm leaving because uh, <laughs> that is not why you go into ministry. It's like, let's just do that again, right? But we've had this need and, and, and thanks be to God, we exceeded our goal. We're gonna be able to do this next work with no debt again going forward. It's amazing. Uh, and then the third was the lack of young adults and young families that were there. Those were the three worries that we had as a church. Next, question number three. Uh, what is one word to describe covenant? You see the theme here, family, friendly, caring. Those were, those were some of the top answers. Tells you something about who we are, who we've been. And last, number four. What is your dream for covenant in five years? Tied back to the concerns, stronger financially and debt-free. Again, way number one response in the 434. And second, spiritual growth, which just feels like one of those things you're like, we should put that down there, right? Spiritual growth. That's good. Uh, it's what you said. I don't, I'm just telling you what you said. Some of you right now are like, oh, I wasn't there. That's not my answer nine years ago, right? That's what you said. It's where we were. And it's fun to think about that for a second, isn't it? Like where we were. 
And it's really neat to think about the things that, on the one hand, have not changed about this church. That I bet those of you who were not here nine years ago can sit there and go, and I can resonate with some of that. I would bet if you asked a survey right now and said, what is it that's unique about this church? What one word describes you? These words would keep popping up. Community, friendly, family, belonging. You, you know, that is a core distinct, and especially for a large church, that's a really core distinct part. You know, I, I dare you, if you're new, you've learned this, to try to get onto our campus without Amy Skaggs, Donna Thomas, and our volunteer welcome team finding you on the way in, right? <laughs> And it's an amazing gift that we have in these folks and in the teams that they have and our ushers. We want you to be known. We want you to know that you're invited. We want you to know that you're seen. We're not trying to create a bigger crowd. We're trying to create community. And so that unique DNA is still there. But it's also cool to see, as we've talked about, things that have changed in nine years. Not only just the financial piece, but take the the third concern about a a lack of young adults and young families, hoping that we would have more of those. Well, in recent years, our young adult program has has started up and has been blossoming. If you don't know about it and you're in your 20s and 30s, I would encourage you to learn and check it out today because it is something that is flourishing in our midst. And young families, you are going to see it after this service when we have the blessing of the backpacks and the popsicles and uh, everything else. Like... We've never had as many young families and children as we do right now in the history of this church. Our youth program is flourishing. We're a truly intergenerational place. The, de- the, the demographics of Covenant have changed in the last nine years. And I think it's important, and I think part of why I believe the Spirit brought this exact text up nine years later is because it's important to look back and to be grateful to not take it for granted where we are. Because no person is responsible for this change. No group of people is responsible for this change. The Lord has done something in our midst. And every one of you is a part of that. If you've been on staff, if you were part of the worshiping life of this church, if you've served on a committee, if you've been on session, if you've contributed to this church, if you're in a Bible study, you are a part of how God has brought about change What we did nine years ago is to say that it is fear that keeps us in the boats, right? Rather than being like Peter and walking on the water. But we wanted to believe that God nine years ago, just as 2,000 years ago, was not a God who says live in fear and play it safe all the time, but is a God that says he is a miracle-working, water-walking God. And that we find greater life when we swing our legs over the side of the boat and stand up. And move beyond fear in our lives. And God has done something good. May we not be, as the prophet Jeremiah says, forgetful. But may we give thanks to him this day. Amen? Amen. But this also text is meant for us to look forward. God didn't just give us this, I think, to look backwards, but it's to look ahead. And, um, and what I want to suggest today as a church, and I want you to think about what this text might mean for you and your family as we're moving in to the weeks and months ahead, is that I believe as I've sat with this text that there is a different and unique kind of fear that comes in seasons of blessing. We've been in a season of blessing here. And there's a unique kind of fear that can keep us rooted in our boats rather than acting like Peter. 
And the blessing that we can miss going forward and the fear that keeps us in our boats is this. When you've been in a season of blessing, what happens is you start to realize if I swing my legs over on the side of the boat and stand up, I got a lot I could lose. That sounds risky. It sounds potentially dangerous. So let's not do that. Maybe we would have done that nine years ago. Maybe I would have done that in a different season of life. But now's the time for us just to tee off with five irons and just hit it down the fairway, right? Just play it safe, right? Let's not change anything right now. Let's not mess with anything right now. Let's not, like, things are working. So let's just not mess with it right now. And in the life cycle of institutions, in the life cycle of churches, this is the dangerous moment. Because playing it safe is an embodiment of fear. Now, I want to be very clear in your life, in my life, in the church, I'm not talking about being reckless. There's a difference in being reckless and being faithful, right? I'm not saying that it's just like everybody yell YOLO and just go running out of here and it's like, I'm just going to do the most dangerous thing I can find because I don't want to play it safe. That's not faithful. Recklessness and being faithful are not the same thing. Peter, Peter, Peter didn't wake up that day going, I think I'm going to do a miracle. I think I'm kind of ready to shake things up a little bit. And I'm not suggesting we do that. That's not faithful. That's not wise. That's not discerning. But what I do want to suggest is that we individually and we as a church start this program year and think about today that maybe we're to have the mindset of Peter. Because if you look at Peter in this passage, what makes him different than the other 11 disciples is that Peter has this burning desire to be with Jesus. He just has this desire to say, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. I feel quite convinced that Jesus had been in the boat, as we read about in other moments when there's storms on the water, that Peter wouldn't have jumped out of the boat. He would have stayed with Jesus. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. If you're healing people, that's where I want to be. If you're breaking bread with people in fellowship, that's where I want to be. If you're in the boat, that's where I want to be. If you're walking on the water, I'm not trying to strategically accomplishment. I just want to be with you. And I would suggest that might be the way for you and I to think about how we engage in the weeks and the months ahead. Where is Jesus already on the move in your life? Not waiting for us to have a, 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 a vote to decide if we like where Jesus is on the move. Where is Jesus already out ahead of us moving? And how do you and I see that and then join him? See, what most of us are going to do is fall programming starts like, okay, things are going to get busy. I'm signing up for this. we got this at the church. i got this at school. The kids are doing this. We're going to be running carpools here. I can feel the, the, the stress starting up. I can feel the we've got to start moving at this kind of breakneck speed. i got to see how hard we can push it without stressing everybody out. And we need to see that our society, as we become more and more and more hyperactive with that, is that we are seeing the fruit of it. We are becoming lonelier. We are becoming more anxious. We are becoming more pessimistic. We are becoming more isolated and individualistic. Everything's amazing and nobody's happy. And as Christians, we, I believe, are called to not just jump into the frantic activity without thinking about it, because we don't really know what else to do. But we're to ask ourselves the question, where is Jesus on the move, and how do I join him? And if you're sitting there right now going, that sounds nice, I don't really know what that means, that sounds like preacher talk, that sounds like kind of pie-in-the-sky stuff, we have soccer practice this afternoon, I know i got to do that, I don't know like, what else you are asking of that, I appreciate that question, I think it's really important, and the whole day today is devoted to equip us 
to do just what I'm talking about. To not make it just preacher talk, Christianese, but to make it really practical. This whole fall guide that we invite you to pick up is designed to give you the tools to develop a life where you can see where Jesus is and go follow him. Everything today in Eaton Hall is designed to equip us to do that. The ways we talk about it at Covenant are three rhythms, three patterns, three behaviors. Our guide is divided into these. And the first of these is that we need to be practicing, as we see here, Jesus going off and praying by himself, the practice of solitude. You can't learn to hear the voice of God if you can't pray. You can't learn to listen and respond to God if all of our prayers are the Santa Claus prayers. I need this. My kids need this. My neighbors need this. What are you going to give me? we got to learn how to pray. We've got to learn to listen. We've got to be able to detect where Jesus is and hear his voice and hear him commanding us to follow him. And you can't wait till the moment of crisis. Most of us wait until there's this big decision. They're like, well, what does God want me to do? It's like trying to run a marathon when you haven't practiced yet. We've got to start today exercising those muscles, feeling the love of God, having our souls filled up in prayer. There's, there's uh, daily examines that you can follow. There's our, 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 our um, uh, daily devotional that's sent out. There's the prayer labyrinth that's here. There's devotionals. There's all kinds of ways that you can find there to practice feeling spiritually alive in the Lord. We've got to start with that. You're going to see the second part of the guide is our second rhythm and habit, which is about the habit of being in community. Listen, I think our worship services are amazing. I clap for the choir as well. You guys are great. Genuinely, seriously, I'm not even like making fun of you. You guys make fun of me, but I'm kinder than you are. I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm being serious. It's amazing. Our liturgy, the way it's put together. I don't think our preaching is horrible. But if showing up on Sunday and listening to a sermon and taking notes and singing is your, is your spiritual walk, you're, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing having depth to be able to see where Jesus is and go follow him. You've got to be in community. You've got to not be a spiritual lone ranger. And so there are Bible studies. There are small groups, which hundreds of us are in. There are all kinds of opportunities for you to not just be in a crowd, but to be a part of a community where people are praying for you, discerning with you, and you are getting to do the same with them. The worst decisions I have made in my life, almost all of which I made in isolation because I knew what was right and was going to do it. There's something about living in this lonely world where we walk with one another and it will be different than the patterns of what other people are signing up for. But it's life-giving and it's good rather than just how busy can we get. That gets us closer to Jesus and Jesus is the source of life. The closer we get to Jesus, the more alive we're going to get. And last is the habit of service. Solitude, community, and service. And here's the thing, you are also limited about your experience in getting close to Jesus if your time and energy and all your thoughts and preoccupations is upon building your own platform. You've gotta live for something bigger than yourself. You've gotta be a part of something that's bigger than just your own bubble. All of us. So there are gonna be ways that you can see in this guide that you can join in our mission partners in the city and in the world, in Cuba and Belize, but we have needs here in this church where you can sign up, where you can mentor high school students, you can mentor middle school students, where you can uh, participate in all different kinds of ways in the needs of this church, but you will become a part of something that's more than just yourself. And God's in the midst of that, friends. 
These rhythms, these habits are not an end in themselves. They're not a goal. I've signed up for this at church and I've signed up for this on after school activities. I've signed up for this at work. It's about uh, a means to, to living like Peter, to seeing where Jesus is and then joining him. Because just getting busy, that's just sitting in the boat. That's a busy, distracted, ordinary existence. And I don't care what award you want. We are not called to sit in the boat. We are called to be water walkers. And Jesus is the only one who can make that life possible. If you think about it, Peter, in many ways, was like, he's like part of covenant. Like, what's our vision statement? Encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. It's exactly what Peter's doing. It's like, I'm following Jesus. He's on the water, boom, I'm going. Because that's where life is. These habits can help us to live that way. And should we practice them? Should we practice them? This year will be full of wonder and glory that you and I on our own could not dream of. So will you join us? as we continue to encourage one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, wherever we work, and wherever we play. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have been so good. Lead and guide us as we move into the future. May we not default to activity, but may we pause to be like Peter in our own lives and in our church, looking for where you are on the move. And may we have a singular focus to join you there. And oh, how wondrous that journey will be. Amen.